My name is Otis Jackson, and this is my story. Welcome back to another episode of Unjustly. My name is Sandy, and this is my co-host, Stephanie. Hello. We are happy to be back after taking a week off for Thanksgiving. Woot woot. (laughs) And we are in December now, and we've made it to the home stretch of 2020. Now, I know everything isn't going to reset as soon as it's January, but this year has been really tough on the world, and I'm hopeful that 2021 will bring some change and some goodness. Um, But I do hope everyone is enjoying their holiday season safely. Steph decorated her house very adorably. Thank you. (laughs) I spent a lot of time, had many trips to Target. Mm -hmm. All I do is shop Target online these days. For Christmas stuff. For Christmas stuff. Yeah. And it shows. I, I check it every day as if something new is going to come up. And it's like all the stuff I've already seen that I'm like, yeah, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll buy another one. one today. <laughs> um, we decorate our house the day after Thanksgiving and we make a whole day event out of it. Um, we decorate the Christmas tree and we take the same picture of all of us every single year just so we can compare like mm-hmm. the kids growing up. So that's nice. Um, and now we have our new addition to the family. It's Ellie's first holiday season. I know. That's so cute. So while we are in the giving season, I want to encourage everyone to help others. December is usually a joyous and festive time, but for some, it's a reminder that they may be going through rough times. Um, Working in social work, I see the most heartbreaking stories and people going through the worst times in their lives. And now that we are doing this podcast, we are in contact with families who have lost loved ones or people who have experienced injustices. And it just seems so unfair sometimes to a lot of people. So please, if you have the means, especially during this tumultuous year, lend a hand to someone, be kind, donate if you can, Mm -hmm. and show support. With Christmas coming up, when you're thinking of buying your holiday gifts, please consider getting gift cards to small businesses or just purchasing from small businesses in general. This year would be the year to do it. You should do it every year, but I think this time especially would be good. So for our listeners specifically, I want to encourage you to take the time, sign the change.org petitions of cases we have done already, um, if you believe in their cause. It just takes a minute to do and can help contribute to change a life. So share their stories with your friends and family and help us bring awareness to these cases or organizations. So today's episode will be another case that needs your help this holiday season. This is the story of Ernest Jackson. So my sources came from Wikipedia, uh, the Send Earnest Home website, the Racial Justice Coalition website, an article in The Reader called The Curious Winding Case of Ernest Jackson by Chris Bowling, a website called Actual Innocent Prisoners, and a couple articles in the Omaha World Herald by Todd Cooper. So before we get started with the actual case, I want to talk about the history of a law that will be talked about later in the story. So this was a ruling that the U.S. Supreme Court made from Miller v. Alabama and Jackson v. Hobbs in 2012. The court decided that mandatory sentences of life without the possibility of parole was unconstitutional for juvenile offenders. The ruling even applied to juveniles who committed murder. 
So in Miller versus Alabama, Evan Miller, a 14-year-old from Alabama, was convicted of murder after he and another boy set fire to a trailer where they had bought drugs from a neighbor. Miller and his friend robbed his neighbor, Cole Cannon, and in the act, Cannon woke up. So Miller took a bat and proceeded to severely beat Cannon. Miller and his friend later returned to destroy the evidence of what they had done by setting fire to Cannon's trailer. Cannon died of severe injuries and smoke inhalation, so he hadn't actually died like they thought Mm -hmm. he did. Miller was given a life term with no parole, while his friend received life with parole. And then, in Jackson versus Hobbs, Contrell Jackson, a 14-year-old boy, and two other teenagers went to a video store in Arkansas planning to rob it. Jackson had waited outside the store for some time, but entered shortly before Derek Shields shot the store clerk. Although Jackson was not the shooter, he was charged as an adult and given a life term with no parole. So the Supreme Court majority opinion was, quote, that mandatory life without parole for those under the age of 18 at the time of their crime violates the Eighth Amendment's prohibition on cruel and unusual punishments. Justice Elena Kagan said, mandatory life without parole for a juvenile precludes consideration for his chronological age and its hallmark features, among them immaturity and failure to appreciate risks and consequences. It prevents taking into account the family and home environment that surrounds him and from which he cannot usually extricate himself, no matter how brutal or dysfunctional. So I personally agree with this. Um, As one example, specifically working with foster kids, I've seen them make poor choices um, or commit crimes that I believe they otherwise would not have done had they have not been put in the situation they were in. Um, Their behaviors were a product of their home life, essentially. So, yeah. Um, But then one of the dissenting judges also made a really good point. Justice Samuel Alito wrote that even a 17 and a half year old who sets off a bomb in a crowded mall or guns down a dozen students and teachers as a, in parentheses, child, and must be given a chance to persuade a judge to permit his release into society. Nothing in the Constitution supports this irrigation of legislative authority. So that makes sense as well. So one judge is saying, you know, we can't judge these children as adults because we don't take into consideration their home life. Were they abused? You know, what what's their situation? And also, they're not mature enough to make their decision. You know, their brains aren't developed enough like adults are. Why are you making that face at me? Because I get that. But I also understand, like, I was a 17-year-old once. Mm-hmm. And I never would have thought that setting a trailer on fire and, like, leaving someone inside to die was okay no yeah Yeah. of course i think majority of people would understand but there's still kids that commit crimes that wouldn't necessarily be a bad person the rest of their life because maybe they were hanging around the wrong people so i'm not saying they don't deserve to go to jail the thing what that they're saying is that they can't be or not not that they can't be they shouldn't be sent to life without the possibility of parole or execution if they committed their crime under the age of 18 if they were a child so these two cases were 14 year old boys so yes they committed a horrible crime and yes they should go to jail for a long time but is it fine to put them for life without parole the the second case he was just there at the scene yeah he wasn't the one that murdered him the first one i understand that one's a little bit different um so regardless the ruling was made and it actually applied retroactively to all those convicted of crimes committed before they were 18 okay that's good yeah Yeah. so it is a law that's passed 
Um, it affected thousands of cases that would be eligible to be resentenced, which included the case we will talk about today. So let's make it clear. It's a resentencing. It's not a retrial. It's, yeah, it's not a retrial and it's definitely not a like, okay, everyone's set free type mm-hmm. of thing. So they resentenced it based on this new law. So let's get into the wrongful conviction of Ernest Jackson. Jackson was born in northern Omaha, Nebraska, which is a predominantly black community. Fun fact, it's also the birthplace of Malcolm X. Mm. Jackson was an active child who loved to play sports and spend time with his family. But when he turned 17, his life would change forever. So on August 31st, 1999, a little before midnight, 17-year-old Larry Perry was gunned down. He was shot 19 times during an argument over some stolen tire rims. Two teenage friends were arrested for the murder, Shalimar Cooper Ryder and Dante Chillis. After Omaha police officer Stephen Davis inspected the scene of the murder, he was told that all suspects had been captured and were in custody. However, almost six weeks later, 17-year-old Ernest Jackson would also be taken into custody. Jackson was good friends with Cooper Ryder and Chillis. So it's basically almost like a guilty by association type Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, He was known to hang out with these guys a lot who weren't the best, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, But at this time, he's basically arrested because he's known to be good friends with these two other boys. So the arrest was made after the sole witness, Alexis Fulton, a friend of the victim, came forward naming Cooper Ryder and Chillis and identified the third man as being dark-skinned with braided hair and wearing a blue FUBU brand shirt. However, Fulton didn't connect this man to Jackson until the actual trial. Fulton was never given a photographic or police lineup. Fulton testified that Jackson had pulled out a gun and struck Perry in the head three times with it and he stated that Cooper Ryder was the one who fired his gun that fatally shot Perry. So this is literally all we have going forward. That's the whole case. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, One eyewitness saying there was an argument over rims. Jackson hits Perry with his gun, allegedly. Cooper Ryder shot him multiple times, and Chillis was there with them. But once we get into the trials, this is where things start to get a little strange. So the three boys were given separate trials. Jackson's trial went first, and ultimately, this was his demise. So a few things with this. First, the separate trials can be good and bad. I'm not really sure exactly why they had separate trials, but what I'm most unsure of is why Jackson went first. Yeah, even though he was the last person to Exactly. He was the last one. Um, The eyewitness didn't say that he's the one that pulled the trigger. Like, he wasn't the main person, but he went first. This ultimately, like, hurt him the most, having these separate trials and him going first, and you'll learn a little bit why. So at Jackson's trial, Fulton testified that Jackson was there and that he hit Perry in the head with his gun. However, Dr. Jerry Jones, the medical examiner who performed the autopsy, reported that while Perry died from multiple gunshots, there were no abrasions on the victim's head or scalp that were consistent with being struck in the head three times with a gun, like Fulton said. Jackson also claimed he had an alibi. He stated that he was at his aunt's house at the time of the crime. Jackson was at his aunt's house by 11 p.m., an hour prior to the murder. He was playing video games with his cousin and spent the night. Jackson's aunt and his cousin Marcel both took the stand and corroborated Jackson's statements. 
The other two co-defendants, however, Cooper Ryder and Chillis, did not testify at Jackson's trial. Because their hearings had not yet started, their lawyer did not want them to make any statements at Jackson's hearing, obviously so it wouldn't incriminate Incriminate. them, Mm -hmm. which we will later learn was an unfortunate decision. And that was the end of the trial. Fulton saying Jackson hit Perry with a gun, a medical examiner saying there was no abrasions on the victim's head to confirm Fulton's statements, and an aunt and a cousin saying Jackson was at her house during the murder. The trial lasted seven days, and the jury made their decision in one day. Jackson was convicted of first-degree murder by a mostly white jury with a sole black juror. He was sentenced to life without parole at just 17 years old. However, Jackson was acquitted of a deadly weapons charge. So the jury at least acknowledged that Jackson was not the one that pulled the trigger and killed Perry. But Jackson's lawyer states that this is logically inconsistent. You're guilty of first degree murder without actually pulling the trigger. Yeah. How does that work? It doesn't. It sounds like it's more of like an aiding and abetting Mm -hmm. type case. Um, More like you're guilty by being in the scene of the crime. Yeah. Allegedly, because there's, there's two people, people saying that saying he wasn't, he wasn't even there. Even there. Mm-hmm. It's also weird that you have the medical examiner, whoever, saying like, no, there's no, there's mm-hmm. nothing on his head, mm-hmm. which is how the one witness is saying he was killed. And yet there's nothing there. And so you say, OK, like, no, he didn't hit him on the head, but he is guilty of murder. How? One and one are not adding up to two. You are correct. <laughs> <laughs> So then it was Cooper Ryder's turn for his trial. And this is where things get even more interesting. Cooper Ryder testified at his trial that he did shoot and kill Perry. Yeah, he confessed to it. Um, But he states that it was in self-defense. So he's saying that Perry first started shooting at him and he had to turn back in retaliation, shoot back to protect himself. However, he further states that he acted alone He said that Chillis was not involved in the murder and that Jackson wasn't even at the scene of the crime. He's basically saying that he has no idea where Fulton got his story from, but it was just him and Perry arguing over the tire rims. And the jury acquitted him on the grounds of self-defense. So he was set free. The person who admittedly pulled the trigger and killed Perry was not convicted of anything. Jackson, however, remained in prison. Finally, we have Chillis's trial. Of course, Chillis gives his own alibi, but what was more important was that Cooper Ryder testified at this trial because his trial Uh had already passed. Cooper Ryder testified at this trial to confess that he was the shooter and Chillis was not there. Chillis was also acquitted of the charges and set free. Oh my God. Yes. To add more to this case, Cooper Ryder stated that another friend, Robert Somerville, was at the murder with him. Somerville had similar characteristics, such as braided hair, just Mm -hmm. like Jackson. Mm -hmm. And as we remember, Fulton didn't even point out Jackson until the trial. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the shooter gets acquitted. His co-defendant, who he states wasn't there, gets acquitted. But his other co-defendant, who went before them, who everyone also stated wasn't there, is stuck in prison for life without parole. They did not go back to retry Jackson's case after these two acquittals. The criminal justice system decided that he had his day in court and that was done and over with. 
Jackson's lawyer later said in an interview, how can there be a conviction of aiding and abetting murder when the alleged principals are found not guilty? The unsatisfactory answer is that's just the way it goes. Yeah, that's crazy. And now I'm getting upset all over again. Yeah. (laughs) It's really frustrating. It makes zero sense. And I feel like this isn't the only case out there that's like this. I'm sure. The only thing that he did wrong was go first in his trials. And I'm sure he didn't have any choice in that. No, he didn't have a choice in it. I don't even understand why he went first to begin with. But had he have gone after Cooper Ryder? Both everyone would have been cut out. The case would, it's just done. Yeah. It's a self-defense According to the jury for Cooper Ryder and Chillis, like, yeah. In a random turn of events, five years later, Cooper Ryder and Chillis were both killed in separate incidences within months of each other. Aww. Yeah. Jackson's defense team filed Dang. multiple appeals and all were denied. So Jackson sat in prison for over a decade until the SCOTUS decision of Miller versus Alabama was made. And this is a ruling we discussed earlier. So Jackson's case qualified for a resentencing under this new law. Now keep in mind that this is not a retrial. It's a resentencing for a more lenient sentence since Jackson was underage during the crime he was convicted. But with serving over 10 years in prison already, this could have been his chance to get released soon. So when Jackson's resentencing date came, his family anxiously waited for the good news. However, the judge reduced his sentence to 60 to 80 years, which is essentially similar to a life sentence with the possibility of parole. While the actual confessed shooter, again, never spent a day in prison. Unbelievable. The judge who gave Jackson his resentencing commented that it wasn't his job to act as the pardons board and assess the facts of Ernest's conviction. The court stated, But we still have a person here who is dead, and your client, the defendant, was convicted of this murder, and so I think anything but a substantial period of incarceration would be inappropriate. Stuff. No, I know. (laughs) However, the Racial Justice Coalition of Nebraska states that not all district court judges took this approach in this wave of resentencing proceedings in Nebraska at the time. Some of them were taking into consideration the facts and evidence, new and old, while handing down the new sentence. But Jackson would not be lucky enough. Jackson and his family was left feeling defeated. But Jackson wasn't discouraged. He continued to try to make a better life for himself. He was a model inmate and worked hard to receive a college degree while incarcerated. He also fell in love and married his wife, Tracy, who met him while previously working in the prison he was in. He has also become a mentor for fellow inmates, but he has now been in prison for over 20 years. In 2017, Jackson exhausted his last appeal. The court system continued to state that Cooper Ryder's confession, testimony, and acquittal were not new evidence for a retrial, which I don't understand how that's not new evidence. Yeah, (laughs) I was just, no, it's because I was going to say that like I saw somewhere I think in doing research for my last episode that um like new tri- there's a very like specific definition guideline of what new evidence is considered mm-hmm. and so if it's if it's stuff that just like wasn't out there or whatever then it can't technically be con- be considered new evidence so maybe the fact that like he had been saying this the whole time it's not considered new but like 
it should be considered yeah. because it was said and he was tried and not convicted of mm-hmm. this and he was the main person. So right. how could this person who people are saying wasn't even there still be in prison? Yeah. For over 20 years. Yeah. Now, Jackson's only hope is for the Nebraska Board of Pardons to commute and pardon Jackson's sentence at his next review hearing in April 2021. Let's go 2021. We got this, guys. And this is where the Racial Justice Coalition of Nebraska comes in. They have taken on Jackson's case and have started a big social media push to gain attention and awareness to the case with the hashtag SendErnestHome. And I'm doing things a little out of order today, but they are also my Amplify Corner because they are doing a lot of other amazing work apart from Jackson's case. So who is this group? They started in June of 2020, so they're fairly new. Um, But according to their website, the Racial Justice Coalition of Nebraska is a nonpartisan group of individuals and organizations unified to fight racial bias in sentencing and convictions. It is their mission to advocate, educate, and research the issue of racial bias within the criminal justice system at large in Nebraska. They further state that minority Nebraskans are incarcerated more frequently and for longer terms than white Nebraskans, which I feel like we can say it's that's a countrywide issue. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, in Nebraska prisons and jails, blacks are overrepresented by 25% and Latinx by 18%. One thing I found interesting is that they plan on introducing the Racial Justice Act in Nebraska in 2021. So I didn't know this, but several states such as North Carolina, Texas, and California already adopted versions of this act. According to their website, under the landmark McCleskey v. Kemp case, the Supreme Court established a precedent that has left the courts unable to effectively address racial discrimination in criminal cases. Various studies dating from several decades past to present have found that the jury selection process, prosecutorial, charging decisions, and jury sentencing are commonly identified as gateways for racial bias to infiltrate the court system. And Mm -hmm. I feel like we've been saying this over and over again in so many of our episodes. Mm -hmm. The The jury jury selection alone makes it can like literally make or break someone's sentence, someone's verdict, charge. Everything. Whatever. <laughs> Literally everything. You know what I mean. Yeah. A study from Michigan State University showed that prosecutors use preemptory strikes to remove qualified black jurors at more than twice the rate that they excluded white jurors. I was just going to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's so bad. And it just keeps coming up in all these unrelated cases that we do from all different types of states it keep and from different decades too and then you can like so like you can appeal it or like fight it Mm -hmm. or whatever but most of the time it's struck down and it stands as it is so it's like even though you have a like way to veto or whatever right most of the time it doesn't go your way and those people are not allowed or exempt from jury Mm -hmm. and that's why the act is is made to help push that Of the 159 prisoners now on death row in North Carolina, 31 were sentenced by all-white juries, and another 38 had only one person of color on their sentencing juries. So you would think that this was an issue of the past, but it definitely never went away, and injustices surrounding racial bias during jury selection for specific cases is still prevalent, and this coalition hopes to help eradicate that. And with that, I want to include an interview I did with Ernest and his team and the experience this journey has been for them so far. My name is Ernest Jackson, and this is my story. 
I've been in prison for 21 years, two months, and it has it has its moments of going fast and then you know slowing down. It ebbs and flows, so you know I, I really sometimes I don't realize how long I'm in prison until uh, a certain event come up with within my family, and we have certain discussions, and I realize like, dang, that person is an adult now, or that person just had a major milestone, had a kid, got a job, you know, uh, bought a house. And then I realized, like, dang, you know, these, all these things that occurred and I've been away from. Well, I'm working at, uh, at Nebraska State Prison in Lincoln, and we haven't been able to have no visits since August. We don't have any, as far as programming goes, we have no volunteers to be able to come in and do a lot of the uh, different programs that they allow us to have here. Uh, yes, we've been affected from the pandemic. I have lost my faith in the criminal justice system because I feel like when they had a chance to do the right thing and allow me to get out knowing what the facts was, they didn't do it. And that really made me uh, think that justice didn't matter. But uh, wins and losses did. I believe I found my purpose as far as uh, reaching out to the community and being able to show people the pitfalls of uh, trying to grow up too fast and you know being around people that might not necessarily have your best interests at heart. To have the courage to stand alone and be okay with that. You know, teaching guys, taking certain classes or programs and being able to become a facilitator in a program and class to teach things. I, I am a big believer in education and uh, being able to be smart enough, I guess, you know, for lack of a better phrase. I mean, I've been in different uh, relationships and, you know, people say, one thing, and they have, I believe, have the best intentions, uh, and they might mean well or whatever, but, you know, when people are incarcerated, it takes a lot for a person to go through, and uh, you have to be a very strong-willed person, I believe, to go through a lot of the changes that prison takes you through. You know, not just, I mean, every relationship is hard. You know, it's not an easy thing, but a prison relationship is 10 times harder because you have so many different entities that's telling you what you can do and what you can't do, when you can do it, and how much of it you can do. And uh, when Tracy came into my life and we started to build on our relationship, uh, that was one of the things she used to always try to tell me. You know, I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to, you know, be that person for you. And, you know, I took it with a grain of sand at first. And, you know, but as time goes on and our relationship has been tested, you know, she's never shrunk in the face of that. She always got bigger. She always was there to uh, help me. She She's just been my light, you know, through a lot of this. So, uh yeah, I'm blessed to have her in my life. You know, she has made me uh, a better man. I can say that. The thing I miss most about being free is the connection with my family, my wife, my kids. Them experiences that 
I think a lot of us tend to take for granted the everyday interactions, being able to be there, answering the phone. You know what I mean? It's the simplest thing that a lot of us might take for granted. And one of the first things I'm going to do once I get home is go see my grandmother. She's my heart, and I made it through a lot of long days and nights in here, you know, with her encouragement. So that's one of the people that I will rest to go see. Well, the way of advice I would give somebody that has a family member in my situation is to never let them forget that you are there. You know, I know that life goes on. I truly know that and I understand that. But make them a part of your life. It's not about always sending money. Pictures goes a long way. A call telling them what you're doing goes a long way just to let them know that you thought about when you have certain events and you take pictures and you send that to them, you will be surprised how much that makes a person feel so connected to them, to, that I'm still part of that family. So uh, I would say that, yes, you know, doing the small things will make a person realize that you still want it and you still love. Just try to do that whatever you can. Well, I hear of people checking my name or somebody that wrote an article about me, I am surprised. I'm, it's almost unbelievable, like, they're not talking about me. Like, it's someone else. Like, it's a dream, but I am most humble because, you know, people are taking the time out to try and help me and help my family uh, to get me to them. You know, and I just feel so honored that I'm in a position that I'm in, you know, because I know that uh, once I get the opportunity to get free, I will pay it back to my community and to this community that I'm in with coming back and reaching back to uh, the guys in here to give them hope and, you know, give them something to look forward to. I would like, just like to thank Jesse for allowing me and my wife and Megan uh, a to come on here and uh, speak our truth and give y'all a chance to get to know us and hopefully to get y'all to come and join this movement. You know, it's a real, uh, it's a real thing out here. Everything that the people that are part of this movement already, I appreciate every step and every inch you have helped me obtain thus far. Uh, like I said from the beginning of this, this is a marathon, not a sprint, but there's no rejected towards the finish line. Well, I appreciate everybody's support, and uh, I can't wait to get home to it. Hi, I'm Tracy Jackson on Ernest Jackson's life. It is super hard to see the, um, the people that you love incarcerated, especially for a crime that he did not commit, more so just because he shouldn't be there in the first place. And for you know him to spend one night in jail is too much, let alone 21 years. So what was it like for me to fall in love with my husband, Ernest Jackson? It's pretty unbelievable, to be honest with you, um, to find someone that is so honest, loving, um, genuine, kind, and sweet is really hard to do, and completely loyal is one of the biggest things I love about Ernest. We've been through a lot, but we've withstood it all, 
and you're here stronger than ever. Especially, um, like you said previously, you know, we don't have visits right now, so um, that's extremely hard um, on the both of us um, because we're very affectionate people. Um, and to just not be able to be in his presence and not be able to hug and kiss him is extremely hard. And especially, you know, now that it's around the holidays, it's even worse. But we're here for each other and we'll always be. So uh, we just take it one day at a time. It can get extremely tiring for fighting for freedom, especially when we feel like we're at death ears, basically. Um, you know, we've been uh, fighting this movement for a long time, it seems like, but it hasn't been that long. Just like today, there was a radio show um, with Pete Ricketts on there, you know, people calling in, talking about, you know, Ernest and, you know, basically saying, like, you don't know him, he's never heard of him before. That in itself is just ridiculous because, um, you know, we wrote him, we called in every week, you know, when he's on the radio show, because we know that he has heard of him. But for just like that type of situation is the fact that like we're out here speaking his name and, and, and writing the people that we're supposed to write, but it doesn't seem to get anywhere. Oh, um, it's actually amazing that we are getting so many people involved in the movement. Um, like you said in, um, you know, previous articles that, you know, people have honestly become part of the family, you know, because they're out here chanting his name, you know, speaking his story. We have so many people uh, reaching out for us to talk about, um, you know, his story and articles and things like that. So uh, the more awareness we get to his case, the better off and the more publicity is obviously great publicity is good for our case to get the, the light that it needs for us to get him home and we can start our family. What I love about Ernest the most is that he is a fabulous father. Unbelievable. I mean, I can't even, like, I'm honestly a lost for words. I just want people to know that Nebraska on the map for having people incarcerated for wrongful conviction, and it's time for us to get those awareness out there, because the more people we have on board, the easier it is for the, the Board of Pardons to say that he should come home, because we definitely need to make this uh, a national awareness and not just here in Nebraska. I appreciate um, you giving us this platform as well. We appreciate that. Thank you. My name is Megan Rolog, and I'm the Executive Director of the Racial Justice Coalition. I first heard about Ernest Jackson's case when his cousin reached out to our coalition through our Facebook page. Kim sent me his case file or really his appellate case and was basically like, hey, you know, we think that this legislation that you're supporting and promoting would really, you know, best serve, you know, my cousin. And so we read through his case and we're like, this guy's innocent. Personally, when you read through a lot of the issues that exist in our criminal justice system or really in our criminal legal system, uh, if justice isn't in the, really in the picture some of the time, like Ernest said, for our criminal justice system to really ever be fixed or fine-tuned, the goals have to be changed. You know, is this about wins or losses? Or is this really about, um, you know, finding the person that committed the crime, making our community safer? I think right now um, it is really about targeting vulnerable communities, such as, you know, people of color, um, low-income individuals, and people who uh, don't understand the legal system. And I think that until those goals are really adjusted, uh, it's going to be really hard to have a more efficient and accurate uh, criminal justice system. So essentially, Tracy has submitted earnest application for a pardon and sentence commutation. 
and in Nebraska, a pardon restores the civil rights and a sentence commutation essentially removes or deletes the remainder of his sentence that the court's given him. It is my understanding after you know emailing with the pardons board, the folks that work over there, that they're going to be reviewing you know any letters, emails, statements, the like that come in for Ernest's case, and they're going to be assessing you know whether or not they should give him a pardon and a commutation. We really don't know what that means. I have a feeling we may not know until uh, they're able to look at that file and look at everyone who's supporting Ernest and looking at folks who have taken the time to voice their support. We have created a website where supporters and listeners and folks that are curious can go to look at the facts of Ernest's case, see photos of Ernest and his family, and learn what they can do to help out. So if you're interested in, you know, promoting Ernest's case, helping him get sent home to his family, you can go to our website, www.sendernesthome.com. And there you can, you know, there's a pre-filled out email template where you can email the Board of Pardons asking for them to grant Ernest requests for a pardon and commutation. You can also sign his change.org petition, which is huge. We really would like to push people to do that. Um, and you can also find a link to JPEG to send Ernest, you know, an email um, or write him a letter of support uh, to let him know that you're a supporter and that you're rooting for him. I think that it's really important that people understand how impactful the power of numbers is when our system doesn't work for us and it causes a, an injustice and a disservice to someone like Ernest. It's really up to the people to decide how this is going to play out. And I really hope that, you know, folks at home that listen and, and they watch, like, The Innocence Files on Netflix and they track all of these cases, Ernest Jackson is one of those people. And we want to make sure that he sees justice. And the only way we can do that is if everyone participates, takes a little bit of time out of their day to write a letter or sign a petition or tell their family and friends about him. Through it all, it's obvious that Ernest is staying positive and his team is going to remain optimistic for his 2021 review hearing. And I truly admire the positivity and hopefulness after being wronged for so many years and losing out on what should have been the best years of his life. And this is where you all, our listeners, come in. Ernest needs your help, and this is my call to action. We need people to sign his change.org petition, and you can send an email to the State of Nebraska Board of Pardons on behalf of Ernest Jackson. Now, if you visit his website, which is sendernesthome.com, you can easily find the link to his petition, but also they have another link that you can click on and it pre-populates an email to the Board of Pardons and all you have to do is sign your name at the bottom and click send. It's super easy and literally takes 30 seconds um, to help Ernest. You can donate to his cause and it seems like they will soon have some merchandise that you can purchase to help support as well. There's also an Instagram page you can follow under the same name, Send Ernest Home. So this case has gained a little bit of traction um, in Nebraska. Obviously, it hasn't spread out that far, but there was a point where there was some Black Lives Matter protesters. Um, nice. And as they were, yeah, as they were chanting George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, they included Aww. Ernest Jackson. And he had said, like, it, you know, it, it was amazing to hear that mm -hmm. because it made him feel like he was part of the community again yeah. when he had been out of it for so long. So people are 
taking you know, learning notice. about it, taking yeah. notice of it. It's still in its infancy. It's still really new. Isn't that so crazy? It's been 20 years and it's in its, it's infancy. Barely. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I had read an article in one of the Omaha, Nebraska news websites that they said some of the protesters that were chanting Ernest Jackson's name, a lot of them were younger than the time that he spent in prison. So a lot of them weren't even born yet yeah. when he was yeah. convicted. Um, and so it's crazy to see now, you know, these. this is the generation that's starting to help bring awareness to cases like this. Mm-hmm. Um, it also has gained some traction with a few politicians. There's a, I believe it's a state senator who's learned about the case and he's been publicly talking about it and a lot of other um, influential people in that small yeah. area that, that are trying to make it. Spread word. Spread, spread the, the awareness yeah. of it. So I'm hopeful that we can be a part of that group. At the time that this episode is released, Ernest has less than four months to get all of the signatures he needs and as many letters sent out as possible. So please take a moment to help out and we will keep you updated on his case. So originally I was going to consider this as a guilty or innocent episode, but I think this case is drastically different than the others I have covered. So I don't think it even fits in this category. Apart from Ernest having an alibi and the actual shooter saying Jackson wasn't there, even if we played devil's advocate and assumed that Jackson actually was there like the witness said, how could he still possibly be sentenced to jail for murder when the person who actually shot and killed the victim was acquitted on self-defense? Like no matter what side you try to view this case from, um, none of them makes sense. Mm -mm. So again, please consider taking a minute of your day to help fix this injustice. Even if you think that there's some culpability on his end, if Mm -hmm. you believe he was there, Mm -hmm. the fact that the person who actually committed the crime is out and free, like there's no way that you can ever think, well, he was there, so he deserves to be in jail. Like, sure, maybe he was there. Not saying he was, but like, let's just assume. Yeah. Okay, sure, he was there, but he didn't kill him. Mm -hmm. The person who did is out. Like, Mm -hmm. there's no way that he deserves life in prison without the possibility of parole or or whatever. Or even this new resentencing of 60, 80 years still doesn't make sense. It does not fit the crime. And the punishment should always fit the crime. Yeah. And in this case, there probably was no crime on his. He has an alibi. The medical examiner says that, you know, his statements don't align with the what one eyewitness happened. there's only one eyewitness his testimony is what sent him which is to crazy prison. because even though the autopsy or the medical examiner is saying that that's not actually what happened and they still believe still this kid victim for that yeah that was in this shooting scene yeah no matter what way you try to spin this case this isn't right it doesn't make any sense So I know I went over my Amplify Corner already, but I wanted to point out that this is not the only racial justice coalition group. There's actually a ton all over the country. So if this is something you want to get involved with, I'm sure you can Google if there is one in your state or even county. Mm -hmm. San Diego County has one, by the way. Nice. Um, But to close out my story, I want to share a statement that Jackson made in an article in The Reader that I read. He says, I'll never forget what they did to me, but I can forgive and let it be. My biggest excitement is to be able to go out there and be the person that I'm meant to be and prove to them that people like me, you don't have to be afraid of us. And that's the story of Ernest Jackson. It is not over yet. This is an ongoing thing and he needs our help. No, that's a good story. And I love that it's still ongoing because there's time to make a difference, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's not a period to this. It's a comma Mm -hmm. or a dot, dot, dot. Um, And it's up to us. 
to help right this injustice because it's been over 20 years, Mm -hmm. 20 years too long. It should have been zero years from the start, but this is our chance to be involved in a case and, and make something right. So next week, we have a special edition Christmas episode. Ooh, Christmas. Our favorite more of Steph's favorite, as you heard earlier. <laughs> um, we're going back to our true crime roots. Those are straight true crime stories. So tune in next week. But first, take a minute to go visit sendearnesthome.com. Mm-hmm. Help out where you can and help out the small businesses and be safe. So hope to see you next week. See you next week. Help us. Help Ernest. It's the best Christmas gift you could give him. Exactly. He's spending his holidays in prison when he shouldn't have ever been there. He spent over 20 Christmases in prison, and this is the time to get him out. So looking forward to 2021. Hopefully we can bring him good things. Mm-hmm. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Welcome back to another episode of Unjustly. My name is Sandy. What happened? <laughs> yeah, I didn't like it either. You didn't like it? It sounded like a what newscast. A- like a- back. Welcome back. Like, you're <laughs> so serious. Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't know if you were being for real. Yeah. I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, my God. We suddenly turned into, like, a like NPR podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Unjustly. My name is Sandy, and this is my co-host, oh, Stephanie. Fuck. I, am I supposed to have a little thing? Do you, <laughs> do you hear a difference? No. And nothing, no difference? Not so me. we don't even need that thing. I don't, I don't think there is a difference. Fuck, I did so good on that one, too. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was like. Welcome back to another episode of Unjustly. My name is Sandy, and this is my co-host, Stephanie. What's wrong? <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with your interest. What today. did I do? It sounded like the first one. Yeah. It did? Yeah. Fuck. Maybe say hi or hello. Take it out. Take all of it out. I'm just not talking. Cut my mic. Just turn it off. You know what? Just turn it off. Don't do any of it. I'm going to have to shut that over my dog with. Barking. Okay. All right, Megan, you're up. He could have gotten out. He had already been there for 10 years. Yeah. He shouldn't have been there in the first place. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Who is this judge? Who is this judge? We want names. Who? Who Who is is this judge? judge?